0: The Murder of Elaine O'Hara On the evening of August 22, 2012, Elaine O'Hara went missing near Dublin, Ireland. What happened that day and the investigation over the next three years proved to be one of the most shocking crimes in Irish history. On the morning of August 23rd, Sheila Hawkins planned on taking her partner's daughter, Elaine O'Hara, to the Tall Ships Festival in Dublin before she went to work for the day. Elaine had volunteered to work at the festival weeks before and was quite excited to attend. When Elaine didn't show at their meeting point that morning, Sheila contacted Elaine's father, Frank. Frank assured her that Elaine had probably driven herself to the festival and forgot to let her know. He assured her everything was okay and not to worry about it. Regardless, Sheila went to Elaine's house and rang the doorbell. When there was no answer, she left for work. Frank had spent the prior day with Elaine after she was released from saint Edmundsbury Hospital. Elaine had spent three weeks there for her problems with depression. After leaving the hospital, Elaine and her father had lunch where she talked about the Tall Ships Festival. Frank recalled that she was clearly excited to be a volunteer. Later, they drove to visit her mother's grave. During the drive, Frank noticed Elaine texting someone, but he had no idea who. After an emotional visit to her mother's grave, Elaine went home around 4 p.m. to prepare for the festival the next day. Later that day, there was still no word from Elaine. Knowing Elaine's history with depression and self-harm, Frank decided to use his key to check on her apartment. Nothing in the apartment seemed out of place, but Frank became worried when he noticed that Elaine's iPhone was there. Still thinking it might be an accident, he left her apartment and waited. Elaine had a history of psychological problems dating back to her early teens. During school, she was a victim of bullying, and when one of her closest friends died in a car crash, Elaine attempted to take her own life by slashing her wrists. Despite her fulfilling work with children, throughout the years, she struggled with her depression. It reached a pinnacle when her mother died in March 2002. Elaine was hospitalized again. By 2003, she seemed back on track but it was short-lived. Dr. Anthony Clare, her psychiatrist, whom she had grown close to, died in 2007, and this was another huge setback for Elaine. Dr. Clare had diagnosed Elaine with depression and borderline personality disorder. She additionally suffered from asthma, diabetes, and dyslexia. Dr. Clare said Elaine possessed a childlike innocence and was emotionally submissive, with the emotional maturity of a 15-year-old. He also noted that Elaine had developed an obsession with being restrained, imprisoned, and punished, so much so that it had become a sexual fantasy. Dr. Clare initially diagnosed her with gradually emerging psychosis. He later changed the diagnosis to borderline personality disorder and depression, Elaine was prescribed heavy depression medications and tranquilizers, to the point where her father would notice her falling asleep while eating dinner. Frank later recalled that Elaine had lost much of her late teen and adult life to medication and hospitals. Throughout the years following her mother's death, Elaine was hospitalized a total of fourteen times for depression and suicidal tendencies. In July 2012, just six weeks before her disappearance, Elaine was once again contemplating suicide and checked herself into St. Edmondsbury Hospital. During her stay, the hospital staff recalled Elaine talking constantly about the Tall Ships Festival. She was planning to volunteer her time for a full week and was clearly excited to attend. By the end of her stay at St. Edmondsbury, Elaine's new psychiatrist, Dr. Murphy, had reduced her medications significantly. He said that, despite her struggles, 2012 was a good year for Elaine. She was discharged with no indication of suicidal tendencies. Frank had agreed with the doctor. Elaine had seemed to be doing better. But with her sudden disappearance, he couldn't get the idea out of his head that she may have done something horrible to herself later that evening there was still no word from elaine frank sent her a text are you still alive there was no response to his text message elaine's sister called her phone again no answer the following morning frank and sheila still hadn't heard from elaine and decided to go check her apartment once again When they arrived, nothing had changed from before. But now they also noticed that Elaine's handbag was still there. This was something he had missed when he was there before. This was deeply troubling. Elaine would never leave her phone and her handbag. Sheila then reached into Elaine's laundry basket and found a latex bondage suit and mask. Out of privacy for Elaine, she initially hid her finding from Frank. He was already upset, and this would have troubled him more, so she decided not to mention it yet. Frank and Sheila had known of Elaine's obsession with restraint and bondage since her teenage years, but they had no idea how far her fantasy had gone. Frank checked the hospital to see if Elaine had possibly checked herself back in again, but she hadn't. The next logical spot to check was to go back to the Shangana Cemetery. Elaine's brother-in-law, Mark Charles, drove to the cemetery where Elaine often went to visit their mother's grave. That's when he spotted her little turquoise Fiat. They contacted roadside assistance to get into her car where they found two packs of cigarettes, a lighter, her driver's license, a portable satellite navigation system, and a mobile phone charger that wasn't for an iPhone. To the best of their knowledge, the family only knew Elaine to have one phone, an iPhone. Knowing that Elaine had a history of suicide attempts and Shangana Cemetery was just a short walk to the sea, Frank was extremely worried that Elaine had taken her own life. Now panic-stricken, the family conducted a more extensive search of her apartment. There, in addition to her iPhone, handbag, and latex suit, they found all of her medication for anxiety, depression, diabetes, asthma, vertigo, and cholesterol. There were also pages she had printed from a hunting website detailing two types of hunting knives. She had also printed maps of the Kiliki Forest and the Vartree Reservoir. The Killikey Forest was a large wooded area located adjacent to the Shangana Cemetery where her car was found. The Vartry Reservoir was about 20 miles away. In Elaine's desk, they found a notebook with website addresses for alt.com and callerme.com. Both were sexual fetish websites. The next morning on August 24th, with still no word from Elaine, Frank O'Hara went to Garda, the national police force in Ireland. Police headed to the cemetery to investigate the car, the cemetery, the nearby fields and forests, and the shoreline, but found no clues. They attempted to search by helicopter, but bad weather wasn't cooperative. Police then focused their attention on Elaine's apartment. Her apartment complex had 10 security cameras in various spots throughout the property. Elaine was seen leaving her apartment at 5.05 p.m. on the 22nd, just 36 minutes after she arrived home after visiting with her father. She was wearing what looked to be navy-colored tracksuit bottoms, white running shoes, and a blue hoodie. She was also carrying a telephone, which clearly was not her normal iPhone. Her friends and family only knew her to have one phone, and this was particularly puzzling. Police again went back to the cemetery and the adjacent park to do further searches. While in the park they came across the jogger, Connor Gilfoyle, and showed him a photo of Elaine. When asked if he recognized Elaine, he said he had encountered her just a few days ago. Gilfoyle had been trying out an app on his phone called Map My Run that day, and he was able to use it to give police the exact location and time he encountered her in the park. He saw her at 5.45 p.m. Gilfoyle mentioned that Elaine seemed a bit tense and preoccupied. She had asked him if he knew the directions to a footbridge that crossed the railroad tracks and led towards the beach. When he told her, he didn't know. She didn't say thank you. She just walked away. Thirty minutes later, he saw her again on the other side of the footbridge, so he knew she made it to the bridge. Police and family members walked the beach for hours but found nothing. Both the police and family assumed the worst, that Elaine had taken her own life. Her case was officially listed as a missing person. One year later, the family laid flowers in her honor at Shangena Cemetery next to her mother. The summer of 2013 was very hot. A heat wave that swept Ireland that year had dropped the water levels in the Vartry Reservoir from 20 feet down to almost one foot. On September 10, 2013, William Fagan, his brother, and a friend were fishing from Sally's Bridge when they noticed something shiny beneath the surface of the water. When they fished it out of the water, they found handcuffs, clothing, a ball gag, restraints, and leg restraints. At the time, they thought it was a bit amusing, and they left the items on the bridge. The next day, Fagan was a bit troubled by the items and decided to bring them to the Roundwood Garda Station. Garda officer James O'Donoghue treated the BDSM—bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism— items as if they were evidence, but at the time he had no idea if a crime was even committed. He let the items dry out, bagged them, and tagged them. O'Donohue thought, why would someone dispose of these in a reservoir? If it's just a couple disposing of their adult toys, why not just throw them in the rubbish? Someone was trying to hide something. The following day, O'Donohue went to the spot where Fagan found the items to search the area more thoroughly. Unfortunately, the water was murky that day due to high winds, so he decided to try another day. On the third trip to the area, Officer O'Donohue searched through the silt and found more handcuffs, an asthma inhaler, and a set of keys. On the key ring were two supermarket loyalty cards— one of which was for a local store called Dunn Stores. On September 16, 2013, O'Donohue contacted Dunn Stores to find the identity of the owner of the loyalty card. They reported that it belonged to Elaine O'Hara. O'Donohue wasn't familiar with her missing persons case until he ran her name through the police computer. What was happening at the same time, just 20 miles away, was an unbelievable coincidence. Magali Vergnet was a professional dog trainer and regularly walked her dogs through the Kiliky forest. On August 21, 2013, her personal dog, Millie, a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, emerged through some dense brush with a bone in her mouth. Magali thought nothing of it assuming it was an animal bone, and set the bone on the stack of bricks nearby and continued on her way. Over the next several weeks, Millie continued to go to this same dense brush and emerge with a bone in her mouth. Finally, on September 13, 2013, Millie didn't return from the bushes and Magali went to find her. When she found Millie, she also found a ribcage of bones. Magali still assumed they were animal bones until she came across the leg of a tracksuit pant. She touched the pant leg with her foot and realized there was also a running shoe. She immediately left and called the property owner who then contacted the police. The police searched the area further and found 65% of a human skeleton, including a jawbone and a shovel. When DNA and dental records were searched, it was confirmed that they were the remains of Elaine O'Hara. It was September 17, 2013, one day after Officer O'Donoghue had positively identified the BDSM items and supermarket loyalty cards as belonging to Elaine O'Hara. Police then conducted a much more comprehensive search of the reservoir. They recovered a red and black backpack, leather mask, multiple knives— various BDSM items, eyeglasses, and two Nokia phones. The phones looked similar to what Elaine O'Hara was seen holding on the security camera from her apartment. The eyeglasses had a serial number on them which identified them as purchased from a store called Specsavers. Further investigation revealed that the prescription was that of Elaine O'Hara. Police had a forensic computer team search Elaine's computer and found that she had frequented dating sites that catered to the BDSM world, Alt.com and CallerMe.com. Computer forensic specialists found that she had talked to several users on these sites, but one username in particular stood out, Architect72. The messages between them referenced cutting myself and punishment involving a master's scalpel. Architect 72 was also linked to a Gmail account with the username Fetish Boy. Elaine had confided in friends and family members that she had been having a BDSM relationship with an architect, but her friends knew nothing about him other than that he was married. Unbelievably, the two Nokia phones both powered on after more than a year submerged in the reservoir. Each phone only had one contact, one with MSTR and the other with SLV, clearly master and slave with the vowels removed. What they found on the phones was quite disturbing. Thousands of text messages spanning several years between the two revealed a very dark relationship we'll be back to true crime sleep stories right after this message what if you could share your story with the world what if you could inspire others with your passion your message or your vision what if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand well you can and we at with aim are here to make it happen With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit withaim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's withaim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. Master. I'm a sadist I enjoy others pain you should help me inflict pain on you and help me with my fantasies master I want to stick my knife in flesh while sexually aroused blood turns me on and I'd like to stab a girl to death master if you ever want to die promise me I can do it master my urge to rape stab and kill is huge You have to help me control or satisfy it. Master, every time I stab or strangle you, I want you to think this is it, and every time I let you live, you owe me your life and are grateful and worship me. Master, either you let me stab you or you help me do it to someone else. Master, lots of people have stabbed and got away with it. Why not me? SLV replied several times that she was frightened and didn't want to talk of killing or blood anymore. Slave, I'm too young to die. Slave, you have this hold over me that terrifies me. Slave, I'm just so scared. Do you know, sir, that I'm scared of you? You have this hold over me. Slave, I know my life is in your hands. Every time we meet. Slave, please don't mention killing for a while, just until I settle back into life. The phone number for Master was cross referenced with the contacts on Elaine's iPhone, and it matched a contact named David. Investigators called the number, but there was no answer. Investigators found that the cell phones were burner phones. Disposable phones purchased at a store in Dublin under the fake name Garoon Kaisholm. They did, however, find someone with a very similar name, Gordon Chisholm, and brought him in for questioning. After questioning, police realized this was not their man. While poring over the text messages, police finally got a potential break. Slave Went well today, sir. I take it you are now a daddy again. Thanks for last night, sir. I really needed it. Master. Yes, beautiful baby girl, child's name excluded. Glad you enjoyed the other night. Many more sessions to come. See you sometime over the weekend. Those texts were from March thirty-first, two 2011. Police now knew that Master had a newborn baby girl born on that day, and they knew her name. Another clue they got from the text was, Master came in fifth in flying. This one was dated June eleventh, two 2011. Police initially thought he was possibly a pilot, or maybe it was a reference to fly fishing. But after searching competitions around the time, they soon realized he was referring to model airplanes. He had apparently come in fifth in a model airplane flying competition. Roundwood Model Aeronautical Club had a competition during that time and the person that came in fifth was named Graham Dwyer. Coincidentally, when looking further into Dwyer's background, they found that he had just had a baby born earlier that year. During this same time, Detective Chief Superintendent D'Armond O'Sullivan received a tip from a confidential informant who claimed that they knew who killed Elaine O'Hara. The tipster pointed to an architect named Dwyer, Graham Dwyer. Police now knew they had their man. Superintendent O'Sullivan found Dwyer's house and, during the night, took his garbage from the curb. Police went through the trash and from the contents were able to put together a DNA profile of Graham Dwyer. In Elaine's apartment, her mattress had puncture marks, possibly from a knife, plus blood and semen stains. Forensic technicians were able to get DNA from the semen stains, which didn't match anything in the police database, but did match the DNA acquired from Graham Dwyer's trash. On October 17, 2013, police knocked on Graham Dwyer's door. There was no answer, So they went to the side door, and Dwyer answered in his pajama bottoms and no shirt. Graham Dwyer was a family man, a seemingly respected architect working in Dublin, whose hobbies were fast cars and model airplanes. None of his friends, family, or co-workers knew of his double life. Dwyer lived with his wife and two young children in Fox Rock, a quiet suburb of Dublin. To the majority of the world, he was an average guy. But now it's obvious that the life he displayed was a charade. To look at him, you would never imagine such a monster could lurk behind his eyes. Dwyer wrote to his wife from his jail cell and insisted to her that he did not murder that awful woman. His wife subsequently left him. The trial was one of the biggest in Ireland's history— The story dominated headlines because of Dwyer's seemingly normal life. The amount of evidence that piled up after the extensive investigation was overwhelming. The security cameras from Elaine's apartment showed Dwyer visited the complex nine times between January and August 2012. On July 9th, it showed Elaine with him entering the elevator shortly after 5 p.m. and Dwyer leaving 40 minutes later. Footage on August 13 and 15 showed Dwyer carrying a bag similar to the bag found in the reservoir. Elaine's internet search history revealed searches for Graham Dwyer Architect. Gordon Chisholm, the man who was originally suspected because his name resembled the name the phones were purchased under, Garun Cajon, ended up being an old acquaintance of Dwyer. Even Dwyer's own son pointed him out in the security footage from Elaine's apartment complex. Dwyer's personal phone was turned off between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. on the night Elaine went missing. On Dwyer's computer, there was an online order on August 17, 2012, for a hunting knife that was delivered to his work address on August 21, the day before Elaine went missing additionally there was erotic horror found on his computer and he had shared files with her about stabbing and killing his computer also had videos that he had filmed of himself and four women where he is seen stabbing the women during sex acts many of the videos featured elaine o'hara several of the texts from dwyer matched his personal life he often mentioned his children by name spoke of the birth of his daughter and also referenced the Polish embassy that he visited for his architectural firm. There were further references to tattoos, car repair bills, purchasing a bicycle to get fit for murder, and the 15% pay cut that he received at work. Everything from the texts synced perfectly from Dwyer's real life. Despite the ridiculous amount of evidence against him, Dwyer still insisted he was innocent. The courtroom was filled on January 22, 2015, when the trial began. The defense tried to argue that all of the evidence was circumstantial and called only three witnesses. The prosecution called 194 witnesses, including Dwyer's wife, who testified that the shovel found with Elaine's remains was from their garden. Gemma Dwyer recognized the shovel because it had an orange paint splatter on it from when they painted their garden fence at their home in Fox Rock. Additional witnesses included Dwyer's former partner and mother of his adult son, Emir McShay. She described him as controlling and abusive and had the desire to stab her during sex. She testified that he asked to bring a knife into the bedroom. She eventually agreed to his request as long as he kept it on the side table, but Dwyer just couldn't control himself and had to hold it while they had sex. Darcy Day, a young American woman that Dwyer had chatted with online, testified by video link. Darcy testified how he confided his fantasies of killing Elaine O'Hara. He said he used to cut her in the stomach area and stuff, that it was mutual and sexual. He basically wanted to go after her, and if she wanted to, he wanted to kill her and come after me. Photoshopped images on Dwyer's computer showed Darcy laying topless with her throat slit and her intestines coming out of her stomach. Police also found a document of fiction titled Killing Darcy, in which he fantasized about stabbing the American woman to death while they had sex. Still, Dwyer's defense team claimed that, because pathologists did not determine a cause of death, that there is no evidence that implies that Dwyer was responsible for Elaine's death. They argued that she had been released that morning from a psychiatric hospital for having suicidal thoughts, and even her own family believed she had taken her own life. They presented the case that the text messages the prosecution were using as evidence were nothing more than sexual fantasies. The prosecution, however, argued that the text messages detailed a very specific plan for Elaine's death, and she had repeatedly asked not to be stabbed and not to be beaten by Dwyer. They argued that Dwyer knew she was being released from a psychiatric hospital, lured her to her mother's gravesite and the remote mountain area, knowing that the police and family would believe Elaine took her own life. The trial lasted 45 days, and on March 27, 2015, the jury of seven men and five women came back with a verdict, guilty. Graham Dwyer was sentenced to life in prison. The judge said that he agreed 110% with the jury's decision. The trial was emotionally hard on the jury members, and because of this, the judge exempted them from further jury duty for the next 30 years. If it weren't for the strange series of coincidences, the disobedient dog, the summer drought, etc., Graham Dwyer may not have been caught. It's still unknown who Chief Superintendent O'Sullivan's confidential informant was, as that evidence was not used in the trial. The following is the final chain of text messages between SLV and MSTR sent between August 14 and 22, leading up to the death of Elaine O'Hara. August 14. Master, am I right thinking you don't want to die anymore? Slave, I'm sorry I made you so mad. Master, you'll have to take a punishment. If anything happened to you, who knows about me? Slave, no one knows your name, and no one knows about you, really. They know I'm into B.S.M. and that I meet people. Master, okay, let's keep it that way. If I ever meet your neighbor, I'm your brother, David, okay? Slave, I already told the girl next door that you are a friend. Master, would she make a good victim for me? Slave, too close to home. Master, okay, we will start going on outdoor walks for play and hunting. Slave, sir, do I have to come? Master, yes, help me plan it. You won't be there, but I want to do it this year. Slave. Every time I think about it, sir, I want to heave. Master. Just think about me being happy doing it. It's what I like. If you were any good, you would help me find her, hold her down while I kill her. Slave. Sir, are you going to stab me? Master. Yes, I'm going to make you bleed nice and deep in your guts. August 16. Slave. I'm scared that the punishment will go on for a long time. Master. No, swift and brutal. Might even kill you. August 17. Master. Did a huge walk up the Dublin Mountains yesterday. Plenty of lonely hill walkers up there. August 20. Master, morning slave, looking forward to seeing you Wednesday. Slave, I'm not being stabbed. Master, okay, but you must take some sort of punishment. Slave, I know. Master, what kind of punishment would you like? Choices are hard anal with stabbing and choking, whipping till bleeding, chained overnight in a forest, choked unconscious, If you don't pick one, then it's all four. Slave. I don't know, sir. Sorry, Doc came in. Sir, you know I can't make choices. Master. Okay, overnight in woods. Slave. Sir, I'll take stabbing. Master. Okay, but I must see blood, and I want to do it outdoors. Slave. Please, sir, indoors. Master. Why? Slave. I'm afraid of outdoors. You might kill me. Master. I won't kill you. If I was, it would be indoors, hanging you once you are chained up. Slave. I know. I mean, that's it. Nothing else? Elaine's next text explained that she's planning on attending the Tall Ships Festival, so she asks. Slave. I was wondering if you could keep the visual marks to amend, sir, please? Master. That's a big request, but okay. Slave. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I can cover wrists and arms. It's the neck, sir. Master. Don't worry. I won't stab you in the neck. Slave. Maybe not, but you want to. August 21. Slave are you mad at me sir master no but you must be punished for trying to kill yourself without me and for being unavailable for so long slave yes sir i know master needs to punish slave master i'm going to get blood on my knife for this is a lot of blood then we can move on slave yes sir master that's my good slave Master is very horny and needs to put his cock in his slave. Slave, Master, may I ask you something? Master, yes, but don't upset me before I am about to cut you. Slave, did you go by the Gorean way? And is it just a fantasy, Gorean I mean? Master, it's a real lifestyle that people really live by. Yes, you are my slave, but I need you to be serving me, not stuck in a hospital. I wish I could fuck you on my lunch break. Slave. How do we do that, master? Master. You need to get out of hospital and serve me. Slave. Yes, master, I'm out tomorrow. It will be after lunch as the doc wants to see me after lunch at 2.30 before I go. Master then turns the conversation again to suicide. Master. Are you happy going on like this forever? Slave. Sir, please stop. You want me to be in here forever. Can't we just have a normal master-slave relationship without this? Please, sir. Master. Okay, but you must promise me next time you fall down that I end you. Hopefully you will be okay, though. Slave. Slave. Okay, I promise, sir. Master, I mean it now. I will get into trouble if I don't do it at this stage. Slave, what do you mean? How could you get in trouble? It's suicide. It's fucking suicide. Don't be troubling yourself. It's suicide. No one will look into it. Master, I want to watch as well and be there for you so you won't be lonely. Slave, shit. That's shit. I'm lonely all the time, and you're not there. That's how I get like this. You just want a hard-on. You're being fucking selfish. No reply from Master. Slave. Sir, sorry, I just get angry talking about it. I just want to try again. Be a good person, slave, friend. And I want to try and have a normal life without talking and thinking about that. Please let me try. Master, okay. Later that day, Master, it's up to me and you have a big punishment coming up, getting knifed in the guts. Slave, I know, sir. I better be tied up good, sir. Please, not outdoors, please. Master, I know you will be well bound and gagged and tied to a tree deep in the forest. I have a spot picked out. Slave, What if we get caught? Master, We won't get caught. Slave, I'm not leaving my apartment. You will have to drag me out. Master, You will do what you are fucking told. I want outdoor play and you are going to follow instructions or I will double punishment or hang you. Slave, How do you know we won't get caught? Master, I found a really, really remote place. No one will find us. Slave, sir, do I have to be naked? Master, it's very deep in the forest, and yes, you do. I don't want blood over your clothes. Slave, now I'm terrified. Master, trust me, it will be exciting. Slave, sure, sir. What time do you want me tomorrow? I was going to see my niece before I went home, and they are Hall's next two weeks. Master. 5.30. Slave. Do I have to drive, sir? Master. A bit, yes. Slave. Now I'm really scared. Master. Don't be scared. Elaine reassured Dwyer that she hadn't mentioned him during any of her counseling conversations. Master. That's good. No one should know about me. They would still find me in your emails and way back in your alt-history, so relax. Master, I'm heading to the spot now to double-check. August 22, the day of the murder. Slave, this place, although a pain in the ass at times, is safe because I know what's coming and I don't want to leave. I'm just so scared. Do you know, sir, that I'm scared of you? You have this hold over me. Master, do not fear death. Slave, please don't mention killing for a while, just till I settle back into life. Master, but tonight's punishment will be like me pretending to do someone for real. It's important to me that you feel it's my right to take my slave's life if I want to. Every time I stab or strangle you, I want you to think this is it. And every time I let you live, you owe me your life and are grateful and worship me. Slave, I know my life is in your hands every time we meet, she wrote. She texted around midday to say she'd gotten out earlier than expected, was on her way home, and to ask if he had any instructions. Master, have a bath and make sure you're cunt shaved. No underwear, not even a bra loose clothes footwear for mud make sure you are fed take painkiller slave can i do what i want until i'm needed master like what slave i don't know yet just anything i want to do master you will be in a lot of pain later and next few days slave is it going to be that bad i'm going to be busy next few days Tall ships, please don't make it really sore, please. Master, you will have stab wounds, you know the drill. The last few didn't bleed, these will. Slave, sir, how many? Master, as many as I like. Slave, yes sir. Master, I want you to park at Shangana Cemetery at 5.30, Leave your iPhone at home. Just bring slave phone and keys. You will get further instructions there. Slave. Sir, are we doing this if it's raining? Are you coming back to my place? I need to clean. It's dirty. Master. Yes, if it's raining. No, I won't be back at your place. Slave. No offense, sir, but do we have to do it in the rain? It's cold. Master. Don't worry. It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Slave. Yes, sir. Master. Don't be nervous and enjoy being told what to do. Slave. Easier said than done, sir. Master. Empty yourself and become nothing. You are property and a piece of slave meat. Your only job is to serve. Slave. Can I wear socks with runners? Can I bring inhaler? Didn't have time to eat. Will we be late back? Master, yes to socks. Leave inhaler and car. You should be back at car about eight. More painful getting stabbed on empty stomach. Suit yourself. See you in a bit. X. Slave. Here, sir. Master. Okay, take only keys and slave phone. Make your way on foot to park next door and text me in the middle. Slave, please let me take inhaler, sir. Master, okay. Slave, okay, sir, is the park with the playing fields on the top or bottom? Master, okay, cross railway bridge in the next park near cliffs. Slave, I'm lost on the football field now. Master, look for railway footbridge near footpath. Slave, here now... Where's Park? Master. Cross bridge and head for opposite end of Park near Steps to see. Slave. Okay, on the footpath? Yes, no? Master. Yes. Slave. Steps here. She texted him to say she was at the Steps. Elaine received the final text at precisely 6 p.m. on August 22, 2012. Master, go down to the shore and wait. A total of 2,612 texts were sent throughout the years between those two phones, and with this final text, Graham Dwyer then achieved his ultimate sexual fantasy of stabbing a woman to death, presumably during sex. The following is the victim's statement that was read in the courtroom after the conviction. We know that we are not the only victims of this crime. We recognize that other families are suffering too, and we feel for every other person affected. Words cannot adequately describe how we are feeling, and we would never want any other family to go through what we have endured over the past two and a half years. We have lost a daughter, a sister, and a friend in the most brutal, traumatic, and horrifying manner. We also have many unanswered questions which we will have to carry with us for the rest of our lives. Elaine was a very intelligent girl who never fully realized her potential due to her psychological difficulties. She was prescribed a lot of medication, and this did have an impact on her ability to be a regular teenager, particularly socially. She was emotionally immature and very trusting of anyone who showed her kindness. In later years, her medication was reduced, hospital stays became less common, and she functioned more effectively. However, she had missed out on those important, formative teenage years. She had a strong work ethic and loved working with children as she could relate to them better than to adults. She was always there to help and assist others, giving lifts, covering shifts at work, or collecting many of the items for the Christmas fair at school. Elaine adored her niece, who was also her goddaughter, and loved reading, painting, and playing with her. For months after she went missing, her goddaughter would point out cars that were like Elaine, saying, There's Elaine's car. We smiled and nodded. How can you explain something to a young child that we couldn't understand ourselves? Since she left us, Elaine has two more nieces, but they will never know their aunt. Elaine's ambition was to be a teacher, and she was studying Montessori. In 2014, we collected a B.A. in Montessori education, which was awarded to her in St. Nicholas Montessori School. She would have been so happy and proud to stand up in her gown and hat to accept that degree herself after overcoming many obstacles to finally get the qualification she longed for. But unfortunately, this was not to be. When Elaine went missing in August 2012, we were devastated. At that time, she appeared to us to be progressing well in life. She had a new apartment, was studying, and working in two jobs. She had a setback in July of 2012 and was voluntarily admitted to hospital. However, on weekend release, she was in very good form and was looking forward to the future. The assumed suicide in August 2012 was a surprise to all the family, but lack of evidence pointing to any other cause for her disappearance meant we reluctantly needed to accept that she had most likely taken her own life around Shangana. We spent many hours walking the shore from Black Rock to Bray, searching for any sign of her. A year after her disappearance, we laid flowers in the sea at Shangena in her memory, and in an effort to find some closure for us as a family. Our attempt at closure was premature, as when, in September 2013, Elaine's remains were discovered. The Garda investigation changed from that of a missing person to murder. This led to further anguish for the family as we now faced the unimaginable horror of Elaine having been murdered. The trial has been an incredibly difficult experience. It was distressing to see Elaine's private life laid bare before the nation, despite the fact that she was the victim. Some of the reporting in the print media was insulting to Elaine and deeply upsetting for the family. At times, Elaine's life was relegated to a lurid headline in a newspaper. It was heartbreaking for us to listen to the texts Elaine received from a depraved and diseased mind. The manipulation of her vulnerability was apparent, and when she tried to resist, she was reined back in. We can hear her voice in those texts, just wanting to be loved. Hearing the contents of the videos will haunt us forever. We were upset that the credibility of our evidence was questioned, as throughout the two and a half years, all we wanted was the truth and justice for Elaine. We will probably never know what happened in Killikey on Wednesday, the 22nd of August, 2012, but there are questions that trouble us. When did Elaine realize it was not a game anymore? When did she realize that the intention was to kill her for real? Did she try to run? Was she restrained? Did she suffer much? Could she and did she cry out? Was she left on the mountain to die alone? This is our life sentence. For us, there is no parole. Thanks for listening to True Crime Sleep Stories. If you aren't asleep yet, consider following the show. Maybe our next story will give you the peace of mind you desperately need. Or not.